Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. It is Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022. Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Uh, to those of you who I did see in Calgary over the weekend in Civitas, it was lovely meeting you. Thank you so much for coming out. We had a great time, talked about all sorts of things. And as I think I mentioned at the tail end of last week, this is now the period in which everything that's been cancelled over the last two years because of COVID is just being rescheduled. So my, my schedule for the next three weeks is just like a conference every weekend. I'm going to be uh, leaving actually tomorrow for Ottawa for the Canada Strong and Free Network Conference. So the offer still stands. If you see me, come out and say hello, and we'll actually be doing some interviews and shows live on the ground. So I'm looking forward to that. I was going to be talking today about uh, what happened in Ottawa over the weekend, the Rolling Thunder convoy arriving, and we are going to get to that. But instead, I'm, I'm going to start with a bit of American news, which came last night via Politico, a leaked draft majority decision of the U.S. Supreme Court, which would overturn Roe v. Wade and also Casey, but Roe v. Wade notably, which is the seminal legislation that tends to be held up as enshrining a constitutional right in the United States to abortion. Now, we don't take our marching orders from the U.S. Constitution in Canada. This will have no bearing whatsoever directly on the legality or illegality of abortion in Canada. But still, the treatment of this by the Canadian left is as though abortion rights in Canada have been fundamentally attacked as well. I want to play this clip from Indigenous Services Minister Patty Haidu this morning responding to the news. Oh, yeah, listen, as a woman, <laughs> let's start there. As a woman, yesterday's news um, out of the United States was devastating, frightening, concerning, um, heartbreaking. And so I can tell you that I woke up this morning uh, deeply concerned and deeply committed to continuing the defense of women's rights to choose here in this country. You know that this has been something that the Prime Minister has been committed to since the beginning um, of his um, leadership of the Liberal Party. Um, as the former Health Minister, I can tell you that I personally took direct action um, uh, towards a province that was uh, making it difficult for women to access women's reproductive rights, including abortion. Um, there, this is a right that women depend on for autonomy in so many ways. and so. Um, I'm proud to be part of a government that understands that and will continue to work to strengthen women's rights in this country. And of course, it went on from there. A, a Bloc Québécois member of Parliament in question period just uh, about an hour and a bit ago asked Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland how the Canadian government was going to respond and if Canada was going to double down on its efforts to protect abortion. Christia Freeland said yes and got a standing ovation in the House of Commons. Uh, Jonathan Van Maren joins me. He is the author of a great many books, all of them fantastic, and also writes over at the Bridgehead and does tremendous pro-life advocacy work at the Canadian Centre for Bio bioethical reform. Uh, Jonathan, good to talk to you as always here. Uh, let's just start. What's your reaction to uh, this likely decision from the Supreme Court in the U.S.? So anybody who was watching this carefully, especially those who listened to the oral arguments last fall, isn't surprised by either the one who authored the decision, Justice Samuel Alito, or by what he said. This has been his known position for a long time. Most of the math people did on uh, the various justices indicated that the overturn of Roe v. Wade, if not a sure thing, was at least a likelihood. And over the last uh, couple of uh, weeks, especially, people were getting bullish 
that an overturn of Roe v. Wade was likely. The, the crazy story here is not actually that a court largely appointed by pro-life Republican presidents uh, was making a move to overturn Roe v. Wade, but that for the first time in the history of the court, an entire decision, nine, over 90 pages of it, was leaked to the press and made public prior to that decision pub being publicized by the court. So that was truly insane. Yeah. And I mean, you had, of course, a, a range of people there that originally were speculating this was some conspiratorial effort to work against uh, the decision. And then you had other people that were saying maybe it was just some conservative clerk that was really proud of it. But either way, it's happened before, but a very, very rare thing and for good reason. Yeah, well, and, and the thing is, is that we have to just wait to find out what the investigation says, because as you point out, there's people who say, well, maybe Roberts wanted it leaked so that he could show people how much of a backlash there would be if they did overturn Roe. Then there's people who think, well, it must have been some left wing clerk from one of the liberal justices uh, who wanted to give the Democrats a chance to politically capitalize on this. We just don't know. Um, we know now. We know now, as of today, that Chief Justice Roberts has confirmed this was a draft decision. However, he has also stated that this isn't the final draft of the decision. So we now know that it is more likely than it was before that Roe will be overturned, and who will vote for it. We do not yet know if the decision that we're looking at, as released by Politico, is going to be the court's final decision. Well, I mean, that is something that's very dangerous, though, because now you're you're taking what's supposed to be an internal deliberative process and turning it into something that's going to be just come a, a clown circus, a clown show here, because now people are going to be lobbying the court and it's going to become pushed into the public realm even more than it was already. Well, it is. It's extremely toxic because, of course, if a justice was to make a decision to switch his or her vote based on this being leaked, then what you've done is fundamentally undermine the deliberative mm -hmm. process of the Supreme Court and virtually guarantee that this will happen again. So let's talk about the Canadian context here, which uh, I was shocked to learn that the Supreme Court of the United States had jurisdiction over Canada. But if you talk to apparently liberal cabinet members, it does. You had uh, Patty Haidu going off about how this is chilling to her as a woman. Christian Freeland getting a question in question period, uh, getting a standing ovation for, for saying that Canada's policy will remain unchanged after this. Uh, you can't be surprised by it, but what do you make of this? This idea that we need to import this political fight in the U.S. when it doesn't really apply in Canada in the same way? Well, there, there's a, a couple of different ways to look at it, right? And the first and foremost is that we know that nobody likes to talk about abortion more than Justin Trudeau. And he doesn't do this to gin up his own support, as is often speculated. I've long thought that the reason he does this, especially now in the middle of a conservative leadership race, is that a healthy minority of the conservative party base is pro-life. And so the more he can push the Conservative Party leadership candidates or the MPs to repudiate a, a segment of, of their base, the more he drives disaffected voters you know, from the CPC, perhaps to the PPC or some other party. And so it's just a phenomenal way for the Liberals to drive a wedge between the social conservative minority of the party and the broader base of the Conservative Party. And so Trudeau loves to talk about abortion. The other side of this, of course, is that living next to the states is as the first Trudeau uh, once said, sleeping, it's like sleeping with the elephant. There's, there's no way any of them can do anything, especially not something this big, without triggering a massive discussion. But the timing of this landing right in the middle of a conservative leadership race means that I'm sure every leadership candidate is going to get pressed on the abortion subject nonstop, which is going to make candidates with clearly delineated policies like Leslie Lewis 
Um, it'll give that, her an opportunity to discuss those policies further. But the candidates like uh, Pierre Polliver, uh, who is not pro-life, but is hoping to get a lot of SOCON votes based on his freedom platform, of course, this is going to make him profoundly uncomfortable because he just doesn't want to talk about the issue at all because it's a lose-lose situation for him if he does. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it used to be that there was, like in Canada itself, diversity in politics about this. You had very devout Catholic liberals that were liberal on anything under the sun, but they had deeply held religious values and, and were uh, not just uh, pro-life, but also against gay marriage and, and so on. Justin Trudeau purged his caucus of the last few pro-lifers. There are a couple of closet pro-lifers still around, but, but he wanted none of it. So it, what that's done is made it so that abortion is not a wedge for the liberals and the NDP and the bloc. Abortion is a wedge for the conservatives only. So yeah, the more they can talk about it, you're right, that there's no losing on that. I think we have, and can put it up on the screen here, a tweet from Justin Trudeau today. Again, the Prime Minister wading into a foreign country's Supreme Court decisions. He says the right to choose is a woman's right and a woman's right alone. Every woman in Canada has a right to safe and legal abortion. We'll never back down from protecting and promoting women's rights in Canada and around the world. I, for starters, he needs a thesaurus, he's used in one tweet the word right four times. But second to that, it is a misrepresentation of the situation in Canada. And I find this is quite common among a lot of pro-choice advocates. I mean, everyone looks at Mor Morgenthaler, which is not Canada's analog to Roe v. Wade, as much as people like to think it is. No, I would also like to point out that the Prime Minister's transphobia is showing there because we went in about 48 hours from having to insist on abortion, not just being for women, but for non-binary people and trans people. <laughs> and overnight, we suddenly snapped back into the binary and have realized, in fact... Uh, that it is women who can get pregnant. So Yeah, well, I just on that, John, one of his own ministers last week, I can't remember who it was, was in question period doing like the most ex insane gymnastics I've ever seen to avoid saying women by talking about people who menstruate. And now it's all about women's rights. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it turns out that in a moment of crisis, our luxury views vanish just immediately, which I find to be extremely interesting. Uh, on, on your point about Morgenthaler, this is this is one of the things the liberals have tr have tried to avoid discussing for a long time, which is that in Canada, we have an open fluid situation. The federal government has a mandate to legislate on abortion given to them by the Canadian Supreme Court, who called upon Parliament to put together new laws. Uh, the key female justice on the court at that time, Justice Bertha Wilson, said she thought the state had uh, an actual duty to protect fetal life at some point. She thought it would be sometime in the second trimester. And the reality is that 80% of Canadians have no idea what our status quo actually is. Most of them are horrified when they find out, uh, which is why groups like the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada work so hard to ensure that nobody does find out. You'll remember when, uh, when my friends at We Need a Law put up billboards across the country that just said Canada has no abortion laws. Abortion groups called for those billboards to be removed because it was misleading. Um, in other words, people were going to see that fact and they were going to be troubled by it. And the CRTC actually said, although it's technically correct, it could lead people to the wrong conclusion. Presumably that if we're permitting abortion up till birth, uh, a sane, humane person would conclude that it should be restricted substantially before that. 
Let's talk about the conservative leadership race here for a moment, which you alluded to earlier. Uh, the conservatives have apparently, according to the Globe and Mail, put out a memo to conservative MPs saying, don't talk about it. So they're basically avoiding, uh, trying to avoid the issue, which is what they always do. Now, is this because they're trying to clamp down on free expression? Or is this because what they're doing is just trying to not hijack the conservative leadership race? I don't know. That would be the generous interpretation. Let the leadership candidates talk about this. Uh, but let's not make it about the party that right now is in a state of limbo. But your point about Leslie Lewis is a valid one. The first statement I saw on this came from Patrick Brown, who has decided to cement his opposition to social conservatives. And he put out a statement saying, you know, we can't allow any backsliding on this. Women's reproductive rights are important and yada, yada. But this is going to force leadership candidates like Pierre Polyev and to some extent Jean Charest, who didn't want this issue at all, to engage in it. Oh, yeah. Patrick Brown has been a longtime friend of women. We're all very well aware of that. I think when you're looking at what the conservatives policy is, I don't really blame them, politically speaking, for saying this, because, again, like this is a leaked draft. So like, they wouldn't even be commenting on an actual Supreme Court decision in the nation next door. They, their, their MPs and their senators would be speculating, you know, on, on a leaked draft uh, that has attracted the ire of the chief justice. So I don't really see what they have to gain. Obviously, when we find out what the actual decision is, telling them not to speak on something of that magnitude would be a lot less, less tenable. What I think is really interesting about the leadership race is that the only way conservatives are ever going to be able to go on the offensive on the abortion issue is to state their position clearly without hedging. So Sheree and, and Brown have both done that. What I like about what Leslie Lewis is doing is she's occupying the ground I've been saying pro-lifers should occupy for a long time politically. And I was interested, I went to one of her rallies in, in the greater Toronto area a couple of weeks back, and she was asked by somebody who clearly wasn't a pro-life person, you know, so what is your response going to be on the abortion issue? And she she delineated uh, her, her no hidden agenda platform. But the way she started her response was most interesting. She said, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to pro-choice Canadians and I'm going to find out where the common ground exists. And then we're going to start doing things together on that common ground. That's brilliant because all of the polling data indicates to us that there is an enormous amount of common ground between people like myself and people on the other side of the aisle on this issue. And all of her policies are firmly planted in that area. So right now it politically benefits the liberals to use abortion as an issue to divide the conservative base and to split them and continue to winning uh, to win elections and to misrepresent both the status quo and the uniformity of Canadians on this issue. And conservatives have bought into that ever since Stephen Harper uh, finally won his majority by more or less silencing social conservatives. And so they've stuck to what I call the Harper doctrine, which is we only win when SOCONs are in the tent but off the platform. What we need is, is a third way. We need somebody who's willing to come forward and, and admit where Canada is at Right. We're not going to get a law banning abortion. We're not going to get even close. That does not mean there are not many policies that we can pursue uh, that will be enormously welcome to social conservatives who care about preborn children in the womb and very welcomed by pro-choice people who share similar views with us at certain points of gestation. When we're talking about gender selection, when we're talking about, you know, um, giving giving money and supports to those in crisis pregnancies. And so. I think that Leslie Lewis is in the best shape because if they ask her, well, what do you think of Roe? She can say, well, I am pro-life, as I have said. And again, here is where I think in Canada, we need a tailor-made Canadian solution to the abortion debate. And I've been open with what I'm going to do. 
That's a great point. And it reminds me of this, this trend that we see a lot of anytime someone has brought up a pro-family policy that, that in some cases doesn't even touch on abortion. And you see how the left gets very nervous about it. Because, for example, when Kathy Wagenthal uh, put forward her private member's bill on sex-selective abortion, which was an abortion bill, you, you had people have to defend something that is indefensible just because they have to protect their own... Uh, policy, which is basically don't allow anything, don't allow any restrictions, don't allow any debates, but even other things like when the conservatives were putting forward the Unborn Victims of Crime Act, and even when they tried to neuter some of the components of it to make it less controversial to pro-choice people, there was still significant opposition. And and you see a lot of this, and and I'm almost more of a fan of this because it it forces the abortion rights coalition crowd, the liberals to be very transparent about what they believe. And and they're actually opposed just to spite pro-lifers to a lot of pro-family policies that should be universal. And I think would be among Canadians. And and I think crisis pregnancy centers are a great example of that. Why is there not more support from them? Well, I'll tell you where I think the conservative party is missing its greatest opportunity. And that's to discuss abortion in a context that I think all Canadians, almost all Canadians, beside a handful of extremists, can agree, which is according to the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, somewhere south of 60% of Canadians um, have had abortions because they, quote, according to this 2018 report, feel like they have no other choice. So I think that conservative leadership candidates and conservative members of parliament should campaign against unwanted abortions. If 100,000 abortions are happening every year and over half of those are, are, are being had by women who wish they had some alternative, we should be saying, well, what are we going to do about this? How disgusting and how tragic is it that women in this country are having abortions because they feel trapped into them, not because they're exercising you know, autonomy, not because they're you know, using their reproductive freedoms, because they don't feel like they have any other choice. You know, Canada country brags about its social safety net, brags about helping those uh, who are most in need of our help. They're, they're, they're literally not having children that they want to have because they feel pushed into it by a system created largely uh, by those who are also giving them the right to abortion, but only giving them that right. So I think the best way forward is to talk about abortion, but let's start with unwanted abortions. Uh, if we can cut the abortion rate in half by addressing unwanted abortions, we also force the people you just referred to who are so uncomfortable with allowing anybody to discuss abortion except as an unalloyed positive will force them either to defend that or admit that there that there are many abortions in this country that are not people enjoying a right that are an unmitigated tragedy that the government has a responsibility to mitigate. Yeah, the line even from some of the most pro-choice Democrats in the in the I mean in Canada as well, but in the U.S. specifically was safe, legal, and rare. And I don't even think there's a pretense anymore. No one cares about rare. Yeah, it's really interesting because like it's the left suddenly is okay with massive corporations making an enormous amount of money when those corporations are in bed with them, right? Like Planned Parenthood, they trust Planned Parenthood to do sex education, provide birth control, and provide abortions. If they were consistent on their suspicion of large corporations, you know, you wouldn't allow the fox to guard the hen house. You wouldn't assume that the person who most financially benefits uh, (laughs) from people behaving sexually irresponsibly are also enormously enthused about teaching people to behave responsibly. Uh, The abortion industry makes an enormous amount of money and we used to be justifiably suspicious uh, of that when it came to to allowing corporations to also work on, on that sort of thing. So I think that there, there's a very, very good pro-life argument to be made to left-leaning people, uh, to even even people who lean as, as far left as socialist. And I think that the, the, 
where the binary really is in this country is trapped between how the media portrays the whole pro-life movement, which is a gang of people who will take nothing but a total ban, and the liberals who say the same thing. And the reality is there's an enormous amount of common ground in the middle that would allow us to have a very productive discussion where a majority of Canadians could agree. And if Pierre Poliver was smart, if Jean Charest was smart, if these other candidates were smart, they would be doing what Leslie Lewis is doing and putting forward policy that, policies that camp out in that common ground rather than falling directly into the Trudeau trap and saying what they're saying now, which is, I believe that abortion is a total right and it's offensive to suggest otherwise. And I'll let all of my backbench MPs put forward bills restricting abortion because, you know what, we have to let the Neanderthals in our party somehow. And so and that is that is a pretty untenable position. And as such, they're going to get hammered over it over the next couple of weeks, I suspect. And and I know that some of the campaigns are are sweating about this because the last thing Pierre Poliver, for example, wants to do is talk about abortion because he's not going to make anybody happy when he opens his mouth. Yeah, very well said. Uh, Jonathan Van Maren, you can read him at thebridgehead.ca. I'd also recommend picking up his book, The Culture War. And he had another book as well about uh, the abortion fight in Ireland, which is a, a very good read. Uh, Jonathan, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Andrew. It is fascinating to look at how this issue dominates the conservative campaign, no matter what they do. And, and this is, I think, fascinating because in, in 2019, when you had Andrew Scheer, who was and is pro-life, a very devout Catholic, running as the leader of the conservative party, he could not articulate his position to save his life. He was asked and he just fumbled and stumbled and couldn't really do it. And then you fast forward to 2021 and everyone says that social conservatism cost Scheer the 2019 election. So let's put a socially progressive center candidate Aaron O'Toole forward and he still couldn't answer questions about abortion in a way that got the critics off his back he absolutely couldn't and this was the thing so he did what a lot of conservatives do that aren't pro-life where they default to free votes they default to, I'm not going to touch it, but yeah, I'm going to let backbench members do it. And by the way, he, he couldn't even commit to that. And this is what Jean Charest has done as well. He said in a, a tweet, I don't know, about 45 minutes or so, well, I, I'm not pro-life, I'm pro-choice, but, but, but I won't stop individual members of my caucus from introducing legislation. And everyone would say, oh yeah, look, that's a socially progressive position. But you know what's going to happen is if he runs and is the leader, if he runs in an election as the leader, he's going to be tarnished as being this evil, scary, mean, right-wing, nasty pro-lifer, even though he, like Aaron O'Toole, has taken the identical position of being pro-choice but supporting free votes. So what conservatives have to realize here is that the opposition is going to be the same no matter what, unless every single pro-life person is purged from Canadian politics. That's what the critics want. But I can tell you that is not where Canadians are on this. Well, pro-lifers, I would say, are a minority, yes. But if you start to break down what pro-life means and ask Canadians questions, well, what about late-term abortions? What about sex-selective abortion? You're going to find, even among people who are ardently pro-choice, they're saying, well, I'm uncomfortable with that. Oh, wait, I, I didn't know that, you know, third trimester abortions were legal in Canada. I didn't know that Canada was the only democratic country in the world that doesn't have a restriction of some kind. When Canadians learn about these things, they're against it. So can you imagine anything else that we've just decided, not we, but the intelligentsia has just decided should be taken off the table entirely and in perpetuity? That is exactly what's happened with the abortion debate. I want to shift gears and talk about the Freedom Convoy, or I guess the latest iteration of the Freedom Convoy, the Rolling Thunder biker-led convoy, which ended up in Ottawa on the past weekend. 
And I had all sorts of people messaging me saying, are you there? Are you in Ottawa? And I was committed to speak at this conference in Calgary over the weekend, so I couldn't make it. But I did have my colleague, Elie Kenton-Nantel, who was on the ground there and, and did some tremendous work. And there were certainly situations where it looked a lot more tense than the Freedom Convoy, especially because police early on really threw down the gauntlet and said, we are not going to let you turn this into another January, February 2022 convoy style protest. And generally speaking, people were there. They made some noise, they did their thing, and then they left. It was still a very much a, a peaceful protest. But the level of fear, the level of fear that people have about the freedom movement, I find not surprising, but very disconcerting. I want to play a clip that my colleague put together of people he interviewed on the ground, these, these radical, right-wing, evil, white supremacist misogynists talking about why they were there in Ottawa. Originally, I came from Brazil and was born in Ukraine when my parents left because of communism. So I'm fully Canadian. And I'm Russian-Ukrainian, so I'm not supporting war. I'm not participating in any activities. But this is, for me, the way how you can express yourself. I'm grateful for Canada. And um, uh, if the people demonstrate, there is a reason why. Since I know what is totalitarian country, I don't want to just uh, that in Canada would be the same thing. And unfortunately, I feel that it might be even worse because it's not communism. It's something else. For me, it's just slavery and tyranny, real tyranny, whatever can happen. Wait, I'm uh, told they were not white supremacist, racist, neo-Nazis. Okay, were they, they might have been at the wrong pro. No, they were at the right protest. Weird. Maybe Justin Trudeau was wrong about who it is that cares about freedom. Maybe people that have seen tyranny firsthand understand exactly why it is that they oppose vaccine mandates and vaccine passports and more broadly government overreach in this country. And that's what the protest is about. That's what the convoy is about. I did a radio interview this morning on a station I appear on every week and they asked, well, you know, what are, we, what are people still protesting? And, and I said what I've been saying on my show for the last several weeks now, this is not over. This is not close to being over. Until the unvaccinated can work in jobs without fearing them being taken away because of their vaccination status, until they can board planes, until they can leave the country, we are nowhere near over. At least over with these restrictions. We're nowhere near back to normal. And I keep harping on that because it is important. And it's easy for people to be lulled into this sense of feeling like life is back to normal. This sense of feeling like all of these restrictions are gone without acknowledging this subset of the population for which that is not true and for which that may never be true. Remember, Teresa Tam just yesterday said, you know, we're in the midst of a sixth wave. How could we even think about dropping the mask mandate that's on airplanes right now? And again, I mean, every time I've talked about the mask mandate on planes, I get unvaccinated people saying, I mean, that, that's the least of our worries, at least you can get on the plane. But it's the same sort of thing of government always holding the carrot out and be like, oh, well, no, no, it's different now. I mean, it's the, it's the sixth wave. It's the sixth wave. We, we can't drop the mask mandate. There's always going to be something. Ontario, as of today, is in the midst of an election campaign. I know that that was probably driving the provincial government in Ontario to lift vaccine passports and lift vaccine mandates. And I'm very worried about what's going to happen after the election, especially given Ontario's chief medical officer has already talked about bringing them back in the winter, not just for COVID, but for other seasonal illnesses as well. Flu season, yep, put some masks on, just two weeks to flatten the curve or something like that. 
Not, not that anyone would uh, take that seriously or believe it. Not that anyone should believe that if that line is ever uttered again. But the reason this is so important for people to talk about is because we, we always have to understand why Canadians are protesting if they're protesting. doesn't mean you agree, but we have to understand why. And we've already seen the lengths through which this government will go to quell peaceful protests, to quell people who are taking a stand for liberty. And the government still is not wanting to answer questions about the Emergencies Act. I wanted to play this clip of Marco Mendicino answering a question from Conservative Member of Parliament Dane Lloyd. I, well, I shouldn't even say answer the question. Being asked a question and uttering words in response in the House of Commons. Take a look. The Honourable Member for Surgeon River Parkland. Mr. Speaker, he's avoiding the question again, but I'll move on. This past weekend, Ottawa saw the so-called Rolling Thunder protests come and go without major incident. Now, during the Freedom Convoy protests, the government claimed that they needed the Emergencies Act because they needed to compel tow truck drivers to remove the protesters. Now, over this last weekend, we saw many vehicles towed without needing the Emergencies Act. Yet another blow to this government's fabricated claims. If the government didn't need extraordinary powers to to get the tow trucks, what did they need them for? The Honourable Minister of Public Safety. Uh, Mr. Speaker, first and foremost, I'd like to begin by expressing my gratitude to all frontline police officers, including members of the RCMP, who ensured, who ensured that we were able to maintain public safety over the course of the past weekend. Of course, there are big distinctions between what occurred last weekend and what occurred uh, last uh, winter, which was a national emergency, Mr. Speaker. We invoked the Emergencies Act after we received advice from law enforcement. Uh, once it was invoked, we were able to restore our public safety, and now we'll ensure that there's transparency in the accountability of that decision. Thank you. So what's happening there is he's still not acknowledging the process. He's not acknowledging the access to cabinet documents and whether those will be granted to the inquiry because, again, the government can't provide evidence that never existed for why it needed to invoke the Emergencies Act. And that's why Mendicino is probably going to at some point be left holding the bag and he'll be made the fall guy for this because Justin Trudeau didn't like truckers honking and telling him that he was not violating, that he was not respecting their rights and freedoms. Which, interestingly enough, I'm looking on Twitter. Someone sent this to me. Uh, Justin Trudeau, it's World Press Freedom Day. So Justin Trudeau has tweeted out the following. To journalists across the country and around the world, thank you for your relentless pursuit of the truth and for your commitment to sharing these truths. Today, we celebrate your work and we pay tribute to your colleagues who have been injured or lost their lives on the job. I, you know, I'm going to respond to this right now. Uh, let's see. I'm not going to bring up the pepper spraying incident uh, because my face is puffy and bloated and I don't want to share that picture of me being pepper sprayed. But how would I just say, remember when you banned me from covering your campaign? How about when you authorized police to arrest independent journalists in Ottawa covering your crackdown on civil liberties. See, you get to see behind the curtain right now in real time as I tweet, which is, I think, like one step above watching paint dry on the level of interest. I'm going to send that now. I, could, I, couldn't, I just couldn't let it pass by. Because again, the government loves to do this. They talk about global press freedom in the context of like Venezuela or something, but they aren't interested in their own track record, their own track record on media freedom right here at home. Uh, and I, if I were Justin Trudeau, I'd be very cautious about talking about the importance of letting journalists do their job. Unless you're on the liberal government's bailout list, then you can do your job. 
then you'll be empowered, authorized, you'll be credentialed, you'll be given whatever you need, but not if you're not one of the liberal unapproved journalists, then you do not in fact get access to any of those rights. So all of this is to say that right now we are in a wacko world in which one group can say one thing and completely ignore it. I used to be very troubled by this hypocrisy. My late friend, Kathy Shadle, explained it well. She said, you know, you're, you're trying to find sense in something that is nonsensical. She said, basically, it's just this. Liberals, it's different when we do it. And there's a simplicity in that. There's a beauty in that as well. Liberals play by different rule books. I mean, to go back to the, the Roe v. Wade discussion at the beginning here, right now, all the liberals are clutching their pearls and talking about the importance of abortion rights because my body, my choice. The same people that for the last year have been pushing vaccine mandates on anyone and everyone are somehow mortified at the idea that the Supreme Court could allow someone, a state government, to restrict abortion rights. The people that would not hesitate to take away your right to choose whether or not you are vaccinated, those people are now saying, how dare anyone restrict what someone does to their own body? Now, the reality of abortion is it's contentious not because it's restricting a woman's right to do something with her own body. It's because there is debate about whether the unborn child constitutes a body. Pro-lifers say it does. Pro-choicers say it doesn't. It's not about individual autonomy. It's about actually de defining and characterizing what an individual is. With vaccination, there's no question that when you mandate vaccination on someone, on a population, you are talking about literally taking away their bodily autonomy. And the only explanation to this, liberals, it's different when we do it. We're going to end things there. I'm going to be at the Manning Conference in Ottawa this weekend, which is no longer called that. The Canada Strong and Free Conference, rather. And I'll be doing live shows. We'll hopefully have some great content for you. And if you are there yourself, do come out and say hello. We'll talk to you soon. This is more of Canada's most irreverent talk show in the days ahead that we're teasing you on. But I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are as well. If you don't uh, come back, well, have a great weekend. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.